0: All right. If you remember last week, oh, last week, yeah, last week we talked about uh, Jared was talking through uh, chapter sixteen, Matthew sixteen, just to kind of remember what happened there. Um, there, in chapter sixteen, there was the feeding of the four thousand people, and um, and then Jesus asking the disciples who do people say that I am and then asking them more directly who do you say that I am and then um, in uh, the latter part of it he takes Peter, James and John and they go up on the mountain in the first part of chapter 17 they go up on the mountain and Jesus shows himself his glory to them and it's uh, it's kind of an important thing because uh, if you think about it he's saying to them I am I am the the one who has all this glory. This is me and my kingdom. In the latter part of uh, chapter sixteen, if you look at the last verse of chapter sixteen, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, uh, "Truly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom." So he's he's saying to them, "There's some of you that are going to see me in my glory, basically, in, in how it's going to be when I'm." when I come to reign in my kingdom. And so he takes them six days later up to the mountain and, and uh, his face sh- shines and it says, uh, his face was transfigured and changed and he became, his face shone like the sun his clothes became white as light. He emanated light in a different way than they'd ever seen. They'd never seen anything like that. And, uh, you have that whole story there. And, So they come down off the mountain. So if you think about it, uh, Jesus has Peter, James, and John, uh, the three kind of uh, inner circle guys with him. And they come down off the mountain. And what's happened is the other nine guys, other nine disciples are out there um, doing stuff. And so you come to uh, uh, verse 14, uh, Matthew 17, 14, it says, and when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic, epileptic, and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire, and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there. And it will move And nothing will be impossible. Here we have the situation where um, Matthew records certain parts of this this story. Now, if you go to Luke 9 or Mark 9, uh, both of those chapters will tell you a little more detail about the story. But this is the the important part that uh, Matthew points out is what Jesus says about their faith. But if you go to Mark, uh, this and maybe we should just t- turn there just to kind of get a little insight into the details so we, we kind of know what's going on here. So go to Mark chapter 9. We'll kind of just pull out a few details out, out of that story. And um, the same thing that happened in Mark 9, the beginning part, talks about them uh, seeing Jesus face transfigured. And then, and then the latter part... Um, In verse 14, Mark 9, 14. Maybe I can get somebody to read uh, 9, 14, uh, 15, and 16. I'll go ahead. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw them, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I ask your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. Okay, that's it. That's, that's we'll, we'll finish it. Because the rest of it is kind of uh, similar to what's what's you said in Matthew. But uh, what, what you get here is that Jesus comes down from the mountain And basically you find that there's a big crowd and there's some scribes arguing with the disciples so that's kind of a a telling sign that there's something going on here Um, and it tells us a little more about about this guy and what's going on with this guy now in in Matthew it says uh, says he he is an epileptic that's what his his dad says about him but um, the, the word just means somebody who has seizures. And the word actually for epileptic there is the word moonstruck <laughs> or a lunatic, where you get the word from which you get the word lunatic. And the people people used to believe that a, a person who was uh, demon-possessed or crazy or uh, really you know losing it mentally was uh, struck by the moon. And it had something to do with the moon and the tides. And, that's where we get our word lunatic and where we get the word moonstruck, sherman, yeah. you know, a long time ago. Yeah. You guys never saw that, no? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's uh, there's. Everybody's 25 years. <laughs> it's a big problem. <laughs> hey, I saw that movie. Did you? Yeah. Show of hands, you know? <laughs> But anyway, that's, that's the word. So the word is nunster or a lunatic. He says he's a lunatic. So the word epileptic uh, is kind of a, it could include epilepsy, or the kind of seizures that are common with epileptics. But it was a bigger word it means a little more than that. It meant uh, that he was going into seizures and having uh, these uh, crazy seizures that were coming on him. And so if you look at, uh, at Mark, what uh, Ryan just read there, there's some more detail about what happened with the guy where his, uh, the father says that the boy foams and grinds his teeth um, and convulsed him and uh, he becomes rigid or becomes uh, paralyzed. And there's some more things in, uh, in Matthew about him being bruised and, uh, and it never leaves him, Com- makes him convulse and actually look good. So we have more detail that there was, there was something coming on this, this boy that was making him uh, really react. And again, uh, if you look further down in Mark, when they bring the boy to Jesus, in verse 20, Mark 9, 20, it says, they brought the boy to him, but when the spirit saw him in Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming his mouth. So really a horrifying scene here. And the thing that you get from that is that this this is something supernatural and demonic because the boy is uh, when this when when he sees Jesus that's when he realizes it's Jesus and it uh, reacts to Jesus negatively. And so when we so that's a little more detail on the thing. And uh, the other detail we get from Mark, the book of Mark, is that this had been happening since the the guy was a child and. And then there's also a conversation where the man says, I want to have more faith about this. Help me believe that you can heal my son. And so there's. if you want to read that, uh, but we're going to focus, you know, you can do that, obviously, and uh, get a little more insight into what's going on there. But back to Matthew for a second. You have a situation where, so, what had happened was that the disciples could not, cast out that demon from that God. And um, I wanted somebody to, could somebody read, look up Matthew 10 verses 1 and 8. And then somebody else, looked up Mark six thirteen. Mark six thirteen. So somebody got Mark somebody got Matthew 10, 1 and 8. I have it. Alright, it's hilarious.
1: And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction.
0: And verse 8?
1: Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons.
0: Okay. Re- that does good that does. Okay. And then Mark 6, 13?
1: And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them.
0: Okay, so here we have this, this thing. The Bible teaches that Jesus gave the 12 disciples the authority to cast out demons, and it says it a couple times, and Mark specifically says that they cast out many demons and healed the people that have been afflicted. So, we have a situation where these disciples had been doing this. They had been casting demons out of people. And so I guess it, it brings up the question, what is different about this time? What is different, and maybe we could just kind of throw that out there. What was different about, uh, you know, the, their ability this time? Why was this demon not being? I wonder if maybe it's
1: because of the way things appeared. Like it may have looked like an overwhelming situation that they didn't they had that they could do they walking by sight at
0: that point mm-hmm. versus faith. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Why couldn't they cast out this demon as opposed to the ones that they'd already been casting out? Now we have some clues in the scripture right there. It says, it says in Mark,
1: this kind
0: cannot be driven up by anything but prayer. Okay, So it was, prayer was very much important. It says that in Mark.
1: Oh, and it said he... Um, the demon
0: was deaf and mute. Yeah, that's another aspect of uh, the, the details in Mark that it caused this guy to be deaf and mute, couldn't hear, couldn't speak, um, and he um, was part of this demonic. demon. So very, very powerful demon, and some people have kind of put out there that there's uh, there's an element to this where Jesus differentiates this demon in kind from maybe being you know, that there's different ranks and powers uh, in the demon world and the ones that would cause people to try to destroy their own life, or you know, take their own life with suicide even, were powerful. And um I think one of the things that that you know that that's very important here is is to see that there's there comes a point here where the disciples, I think it's key that the disciples are doing something based on their association with Jesus. Now, we just had our friend from Canada come down and, and, and visit us. Her mom she knows Evangeline really well, and I've known her family a long time. And she's a she, she was a police officer. A lot of me uh, met her. And we were driving around here in L.A., and uh, I'm looking at the signs that say, don't park here between 8 and 10, okay? And I'm looking up, and then there's another sign that a certain day you couldn't park there. You know all the, you know they have like eight signs about parking, you know, mm-hmm. around here. And so I'm I'm trying to read all these signs and and you know, look, look for a parking spot. And she goes, "You mean you just can't just park anywhere?"
1: <laughs> and she
0: was and she was being sarcastic. But as a police officer, they kind of go above the law sometimes. I mean over there. Wherever they feel like they need to park, I guess they, they park. No, I'm not. I think she was just kidding. I don't think she you know runs over the law that bad. But uh, she 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 joked about that another time. She said, uh, we were, I said, "Oh, I, the sign says I can't turn left." Oh yeah, you got you, uh, a big <laughs> sign. No. And she was making fun of the uh, uh, kind of make, you know pointing out that if you have the authority as a police officer, you might be able to get away from the. Remote. Now I'm not disparaging her, uh, saying that she does that. It became a running joke of us that as a cop, if we had a cop in the car, we can do anything we want, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, and we kind of, uh, we were laughing about that, but the authority, uh, now we can't really claim that authority that she has, even if she was in her proper jurisdiction as a Canadian uh, the police, and we were up in Canada, we can't claim her authority as a police officer and you know break the law or arrest people or you know things like that because it it wouldn't transfer over. Okay, we have to kind of be be we're under the authority of the law and only the person with the authority can can um, has to be relied on. Put it that way. That person with the authority is the one that that, uh, that we could do you know we could operate under in some respects in this world. But um, I think one of the things that I saw with that is that when we think of our authority and our right, and and maybe in this case the disciples' right, to do these things that Jesus had enabled them, and you find them when Jesus comes down and meets up with all the disciples and they're arguing with the scribes, You think, okay, why are they arguing with the scribes? And Jesus asked asked the question, why are you arguing with them? What are you arguing about? And they're arguing about this poor kid. They're arguing about this boy that they're not able to cast a demon out. And um, I believe what what Jesus is getting at here is that he says, you have little faith. You're not putting the faith in me. Let's look at a couple of other things in Mark. Just really quick, go back to that, uh, that thing in Mark. Mark chapter 9. And I want you to follow along a little bit. I'll just kind of point out two things. One was the one where they were arguing with the scribes. Verse 14 says, When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And then down further on, um, it says in... verse 30 that they went from galilee and passed verse 30 they went on from there and passed through galilee and he did not want anything i want to know for he was teaching actually that's that's the wrong section it's verse 33 and they came to capernaum and when he was in the house he asked them what were you discussing on the way but they kept silence for on the way they had argued about, argued with one another about who was the greatest. Okay? Now look at that. Okay, think of that for a second. Now look at verse 38. Again in Mark. John said to him, he says this to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Now this is probably later, but you see a, a pattern of developing Anybody see what's going on here? They're, they're arguing with the scribes, they're discussing who's the greatest, and they're trying to stop people from casting out G- demons in Jesus' name. What, what's what's going on there? they jealous. What's Competitive, that?
1: Competitive, jealous.
0: Competitive, jealous. There's, there's... They
1: also like, asked, well, why couldn't we do that? You no, know?
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> can... what is that? What's going on there? Sorry? Pride. I believe it is pride. Yeah. What? What else? What? What stems from pride? What? So we get this pride. We got this, this, uh, this puffed upness. You know, this kind of, you know, competitiveness with other people. What does that lead to? And you know, there's a key part of this, in regards to faith. What does that lead to? If you're proud the and you're competitive. Fall. Yeah. Fall. But. Self
1: righteousness.
0: Self righteousness. And there's there's something else. It's sin, right?
1: It's
0: sin. Separation from God. Mm-hmm. There's another self word that I'm kind of looking for.
1: Self-seeking, selfishness,
0: self-centered, self.
1: Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> self-promotion. You all. Is it self-promotion.
0: <laughs> self-promotion. Uh, that's nice. the pride is leading to this in regards to them trying to. Cast out the demons. Self what? Empowerment. Yes, that would be so <gasps> self-sufficiency, self-empowerment. They were thinking they're the ones with the power. Meredith gets a gold star. <laughs> <laughs> you should but,
1: bring gold stars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what had happened was the disciples were treating this gift of healing as some ability that they maybe had themselves that were regard. Work regardless of faith in Jesus, and so they were kind of going along, thinking, "Okay, yeah, I've cast out demons. I'm going to do this," and they weren't relying on on Jesus' power and His authority to make that happen. They were thinking it was theirs. That's where this "Who's the greatest?" comes in. That's where this arguing with the scribes, about whatever they're arguing about, whether you know why, it's, why the demons not leaving the kid and why John is telling people that, that uh, you, you can't cast out demons in Jesus name because we're Jesus followers. <laughs> so you have this, this thing going on. So back to Matthew again. We get Jesus, Matthew chooses not to tell all that story, which is interesting. He doesn't tell a lot about the, about the, about the kid. He tells him, tells us that he often falls into the fire and into the water. So it's this demon is making him hurt himself and possibly take his, his own life. And so the the boy's dad says, "I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him." And Jesus answered, "Oh, faithless and twisted generation! How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring them here to me." I bless. Thank you. Jesus rebuked the demon; it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, "Why could we not cast it out?" Now, do have a thought on that? On what they asked Jesus? On oh, why, <laughs> why are they asking? On why they asked him? Why did? Couldn't we cast it out? Because they had pride the that they had. Yeah. That's why they asked it, but anybody, does that hit anybody funny that they that's the question they would ask? Mm-hmm. What should they have asked? What would be a, a, been a better question? More um, compassionate question. Yes, I, I don't know there's a thought in me, but maybe, um, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I'm looking at it and going, they asked about why they couldn't do it. They weren't asking about the kid. They weren't asking about. Um, they were the concern was with their own inability to do it, <coughs> and uh, maybe that's that's a little telling of uh, where they were at. But he said to them in verse twenty, "Because of your little faith." Now that word "little faith" uh, is a word that means there's there's something there. It's not no faith. The word actually there's a word that means no faith and unbelief. This is a word that means a very small faith. He says, because you have very little faith. He says, if, truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. what What is the mustard seed thing? What is it about the mustard seed that he wants them to see? How
1: small their faith is. Is so
0: that like a yeah. mustard seed that's super tiny? That's one aspect of it because it's very small, but what is it about the mustard seed? Let's look at uh, Matthew <coughs> 13 verse 31. Read Go back a few to Matthew 13, 31. Whoever has it just put it in
1: he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field.
0: 33 30, next one. 30,
1: 30. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches.
0: Okay, now we're getting the picture of why he's saying mustard seed. It wasn't that it's small. It's that it has this great ability to grow, right? It has, it is small, it is the smallest thing they could think of, it. it's something very small in that. But he's pointing out also that the ability for that to grow into this great thing, right? This incredibly huge uh, tree where birds come and re- you know, rest in its branches. And I don't think that mustard, now I haven't actually researched this, but I think mustard that grows in the field I've seen it, it's all, you go by a yellow field, it's just beautiful, actually. Um, And, um, but I don't think it grows into huge trees. But I think what he's saying is that the seed, uh, uh, that's very small, um, it can grow huge. And he's talking about the the, the ability to get really big and and, uh, far beyond what it was at the very beginning. And so he's saying to them, <coughs> when you begin to believe, even in a small way, that faith can grow into th- things that will, that will accomplish a lot. In the the and so it kind of brings up the question about our faith. Now we, most of us have trusted Jesus for salvation and we believe in Jesus and We believe in who he is, maybe. We have certain beliefs, and, and faith is, has grown to some degree. But maybe I'm just going to ask the question, what do we honestly believe God is capable of doing in our experience, in our life, that maybe we don't see as possible right now? Now, maybe that's, maybe I want, maybe you don't feel like comfortable saying that, what that might be. But what kinds of things might that be?
1: like we've seen God, I mean, from going through um, loss and maintaining, like, joy in that Mm -hmm. and um, acceptance, like, that takes a lot of faith to believe that God is so good Mm -hmm. in the midst of hurt or struggle Mm -hmm. and pain, Um, and even God's, like, to be able to leave a job where you may we're, we were making it like twice mm-hmm. as much to follow God we felt like mm-hmm. say you know to come mm-hmm. to do something that mm-hmm. was far lesser but mm-hmm. seeing him provide so we've seen his provision mm-hmm. it's increased our faith mm-hmm. and just to add a few
0: those are some things yeah absolutely like I think that what he's trying to say here is once you start believing and trusting in me for some things that faith should grow exponentially. It should be growing into things that we wouldn't have thought possible at, a, at an early point in our life. Um, and we see that with the disciples in the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, all the things they were uh, believing God to do. And, um, you know, it brings up, it poses that question to us what could Jesus do if we believe? You know, maybe just ask yourself that. You know, if, I, if I really have faith in God, what, what could I believe in for? And uh, it's, uh, it kind of tells me a little bit, too. as he says, if you have this faith, this small amount of faith, and begin to believe in, in in me for these things, <coughs> you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. In that culture age, those people would. I had the thought of a mountain as something being rooted far beneath the earth, kind of like an iceberg. They kind of thought of it that way. So moving mountains was something what a, a teacher would talk about as something that was impossible, really. And they thought of it, you know, if you can move a mountain, that's an impossible thing, just kind of like we do now. But they had to even, it, it was kind of synonymous with that. And here you have Jesus saying, begin to have a little faith and for, for spiritual battles like this um, there's basically no limit to it I wrote down something here uh, from, a, from one of the uh, from one of the people uh, commentators that's the word for <laughs> the people who write commentators it says, with added revelation about the person and work of Jesus, comes increased responsibility to trust totally in Him. Failure to do this weakens faith, and and restricts Jesus' work through us. Mm-hmm. I think I thought that was a good point. Is that yeah, our faith will be weakened if we don't trust God for things? You know, trust is a you know trust is a, is a, an interesting thing. I think I think of like, two times I've gone ziplining. Okay. One was about two years ago, up at uh, Wrightwood, and one was on a birthday just recently. And when we first went to Wrightwood, um, this, this, the heights are huge. I mean, it's really, really—you're you're on this line way above the earth, you know. And if you're afraid of heights, it's kind of scary. Now you look at the—you look at the contraption. You have the helmet on. You have two books and a harness, and uh, you can see the wire there. And you go, oh yeah, it looks fine. But there's this moment. There's this moment when you step off the platform, you actually go. You know <laughs> We actually have to allow that harness and that wire and all that contraption. You have to believe in it in the, to the point where you step off the platform. Now there's a little m- moment of apprehension there. Okay, there's this little moment of apprehension the first time. And then when we went to the one in, in uh, the second time we, we went, which was this past month, they were telling us, now what you can do when you get out of this. Now, I used to just jump on there and just go, oh, 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 you know, and I'm just holding on for dear life, right? The second time we went, they said, when you get out there, try a few moves, you know, hold on with one hand and, and do, you know, do the Burt Reynolds and uh, do do you know. <laughs> and they, they they had all these moves where you had to hold on with one hand and turn around and, and while you're going so there's an added level of trust and competence and there's an added, added level of faith that you have to have in that situation that you don't just hang on for dear life that you actually try a few moves and I imagine I did, did some great ones and uh <laughs> But uh, you know, every when I first turned you know, let go of one hand and turned a little bit, I was like, This is this is this is me moving on in this faith, right? In this <laughs> system. Now, I think it's like that in our Christian life. We begin with a belief in Christ, but as we see Jesus answer prayers, like the Beth was talking about, we see things happen in our life, we see things our prayers answered then that faith in being in doing that gets bigger and it should get bigger because if it doesn't our faith is going to we're going to forget what God is doing I think that's what this commentator got in mind because Jesus is wanting them to believe for great things begin to you know have that faith grow and grow and grow so that they can do more and more. and I, I think that, that that's what he's getting at here and uh you know, there's there's a story we have uh, back in uh, we read just a little while ago. This split back in your Bibles to Matthew 14, okay? And we we already we already went through this, so I'm not gonna go too far in it. But if you go Matthew 14:28, you find the story of Peter trusting God enough to walk on the water, right? So he walks out in the water to Jesus in verse 28. So Peter. Verse 29, he gets out of the boat, walks, and he comes to Jesus. And then verse 30 says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sing. He cried out, Lord, save me. Now, there's an interesting thing that happened. He walked to Jesus, right, okay, on the water, got there, and then saw the wind, got some fear, and Jesus allowed him to begin to sing. I think that's a key part there. Jesus allowed him to begin to sink. In other words, yeah, you've trusted me to actually do this miracle that no one else has done, ever. Not even, what's that guy in Vegas? David Chris. Huh.
1: What?
0: David Lane? No. Chris Chris Angel. <laughs> <laughs> even Chris Angel yeah. hasn't walked on water, you know, like Peter has, not for real. I mean, he has this thing where he looks like he does, but he actually doesn't. But he's got some tricks. <laughs> I'll explain that <laughs> But he withdraws this power a little bit <coughs> so that Peter would not worry about the wind and not worry about the beginning to sing, because Jesus is right there. And so you have a, a principle where where Jesus sometimes withdraws some of his strength and his, his ability and his power in our lives so that we trust him more, not so we trust him less. Jesus knows when we're starting to believe in our own strength. The Lord knows when we're starting to trust ourselves to live this life, we're starting to believe in ourselves and our own righteousness, in our own power, in our, own, our own discernment, and our own strength. And in Peter's situation, he had to keep believing, even though it didn't look like he was working. Now, maybe you guys have experienced this, but I've experienced this in the area of healthy living, exercising, and then maybe I'm the only one, but you kind of, ever, if you ever got to the point in your life where you go, I'm doing everything right. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting into my desire to eat all the time. I'm working out nothing's changing. It probably doesn't work. Do <laughs> you ever get that feeling? It probably doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, the rules don't apply to me because it's not happening. But if we have faith in the process of you know, all the things that the research has gone into this and uh, people's lives and the commercials on TV late at night, <laughs> we, get, we get to the point where we go, OK, not the commercial. Forget that. But we know we know there's a principle about about these things that actually works. It has to work, right? But there's a point where we kind of go, I'm not seeing it happen, so maybe it doesn't work. And we begin to lose trust in the process. Now, I think that happens in our lives where we are living out our lives, and God doesn't seem to be answering the prayer or meeting our need, and we kind of go, oh it's not working. But our faith, you know, we, we, we continue to trust in the process sometimes of uh, trying to stay healthy. In the same way we try to, you know, we have to keep trusting in Jesus. We have to keep trusting in prayer. And these disciples weren't praying because Jesus says, this kind, this powerful, demonic force is only going to come out of this person with prayer. I mean, you call on God. You call on me. You trust in me. And uh, you get to this point that I want to look ahead a little bit about where this trust goes. So turn to Acts, Acts chapter three. And I'm not going to tell the whole story. You can read the whole thing. Basically, this guy's begging for money. He's, he's, uh, He's lame. He can't walk. And Peter and John come there and uh, in verse six, it says, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And he leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. A so great, great, great story. Now look at what goes on in verse 11. Now the same guy that got, got healed, okay, says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly stunned, ran together to them in the portico called Psalm. So all the people started running to Peter and John. Well, this could have been a point of, hey, yeah, look at how this, we're getting popular now. We can, we can do some stuff. No, that's not what they do. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, he said, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? But why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. He begins to talk about Jesus, right? He begins to give the glory to Jesus. It's not by my power, our power, or by our piety, meaning by our righteousness, our, our, our walking with the Lord for the devil. Are being good people it says it's got nothing to do with me or my power or my relationship to God. It's all the power of Jesus Christ. So that's where that had gone. It, maybe it had gone from a little bit of believing in himself to say this is all going to be done through Jesus, even in even when it could have been made pop, been a pop, time of popularity, a time of. Uh, you know, getting some fame to themselves, that's not what he, uh, he kind of discouraged that. I think, no, I think that that's a, a real powerful thought. So that's where we're at. Um, let's see what we're here, time-wise, because I know we... 15
1: seconds.
0: Basically, the last part of this is is, uh, is two stories. It's uh, we'll kind of covered them quickly but um, it says in verse twenty-two: as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, "The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day." And they were greatly distressed. So here, you have a situation. Let's follow the, the sequence of things they're up on the mountain they see the power and the glory of Jesus he's shining they come down and they see Jesus heal this, this boy from his demon and it talks about in the book of, uh, of uh, Luke it says I'm just going to read this Luke 9.43 telling the same story it says all were astonished at the majesty of God while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples let these words sink into your ears, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and here in Matthew it says that that Matthew records him saying and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day so Jesus in the midst of all this glory and this power uh, and the disciples seeing that he says let it sink into you guys I'm still gonna go to Jerusalem and get killed. And this is the second time he said this because he has a, a mission in mind. There's something he's doing here that's that um, he sees it as the only way he can redeem us. And this is his mission, this is a reason for, for for coming to the earth, was to die on that cross. And, and even in then in, even after showing his glory and his power, he says, let it sink into you. I'm going to go. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. Now that word "delivered" can also mean betrayed. It depends on context. It means handed over um, and given up to. And uh, sometimes it's translated as betrayed in some Bibles. But basically, maybe they were distressed about, you know, just the thought of that. I mean, a little distressed that one of them is going to betray him and hand him over, or somebody's going to do that to him. But um, in another gospel, it says they didn't really understand what he's saying. But he appears to have all the power on earth. But he's continuing to hum- humble himself. The last part about the temple tax says when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. That's a little bit of a confusing answer. Does he not pay the tax? Yes yes he does or yes he doesn't you know, that's a question I would have but they understood him to say yes he does pay the tax and um, it appears that only uh, this is happening uh, because Peter and Jesus are the only ones that actually live in Capernaum in case you're wondering why why is it so, Peter and, and uh, Jesus that he ends up paying the tax was anybody wondering that no, no. <laughs> okay So Peter says yes, and when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he had said from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find the shekel." Take that and give it to them. For me and for yourself. Anybody see a couple of miracles here? Now we don't know if they actually found the fish. You know, Matthew doesn't record whether they actually found this money in the fish. Right? And nobody else tells us, none of the other guys tell the story. So only Matthew's telling the story. And I think Matthew's just saying to us, Jesus said it's going to be in the mouth of this fish. This exact coin. He doesn't even bother to tell. Yeah, he went over there and found the coin and the fish's mouth. Because his faith, <laughs> by this time, I think he's expecting the readers to have faith that this actually happened, right? You follow me there? Okay. There's another miracle here. I want, to, I want us to kind of get a, get a look. Did anybody catch it? Verse. They go up to Peter, right? Peter's alone when they ask the question. Anybody else see it? What is it? But Jesus knew what they asked him. Yeah, Jesus knew that they were asking Peter about taxes. And uh, so he comes back into the house. because the They met with Peter. Comes back into the house. Jesus speaks to him and says, basically says, uh, this this tax was something that was had been instituted back in the Book of Ezekiel, and it was every everybody over twenty years old had to pay a half shekel to support the temple, and uh, so and only and they paid this once a year, uh, just before the Passover, and Jesus probably had been out of town during that time, and they come back they, and Peter says, yeah, he do, normally pays this tax. And Jesus is pointing out that, you know, the certain priests, the people in the, in the, in the royal family or in the, in the temple family, the family in, the, in the priesthood family didn't pay this. And so he asks the question, who, who pays the tax? Who do they collect taxes from? The, the people that they're ruling over or the people in the royal family? And he's pointing out that he doesn't have the—he has the right not to pay taxes, what he's kind of saying. But in order, but he has a principle here that comes out that says, in order, what does it say? However, verse twenty-seven, not to give offense to them. It says I don't want to offend these people that are presuming to rule me. I don't want to make this about me paying a tax, and there's there's a key there's a key element there that maybe we can get 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 for ourselves. Um, I have written down here instead of instead of uh, our asserting our rights or asserting his rights. Jesus is more concerned about people coming to truth and knowledge of God's coming. And that's a principle that we have. And I think we looked at that in Peter. I we studied the book of Peter, but in case you don't quite remember, in 1 Peter 2.13, we're told, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. <clears throat> now Peter wrote that sometime after he had this conversation with Jesus, and I think they're they're kind of connected. because Peter is saying, submit to the, the government institutions, submit to paying taxes, submit to the law of the land, for God for the Lord's sake because the, the importance of asserting maybe Jesus right not to pay this tax was it wasn't as important as the people understanding who he was and i think that that's a that's a key uh, that's a key lesson for us today peter had just seen the glory of god right he'd just seen him light up he'd seen his power he'd seen him miraculously heal this boy. Then he says, I'm going to go be killed in Jerusalem and be handed over to these people to be killed. And not only that, I'm going to just submit to paying taxes. So this great, powerful ruler with the right to rule the whole world is submitting himself to taxes. Even the small tax of that town. And... uh, I think there's a lot we can learn from that today. I just want to ask: What it you know? What 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 are we getting out of this meetings? tonight? What, what are some things? we have any response to this? As far as our own lives, Jesus heals, not us. Mm-hmm. Anything else? What about this? Uh, Faith aspect. Humility. What are we hearing? What are we hearing? What are we learning today? If we allow um, the Lord to to lead us to grow in our faith, then He will Mm -hmm. definitely have us grow in faith. So we can't just give up on it because it's not
1: working? Mm -hmm. and trust
0: in our own self-righteousness. This story about the Father coming to Jesus and asking Jesus to heal his son, Jesus looks at the faith of the Father and reveals his Son. What does that say to us about the people in our There's an aspect here of needing, praying, and trusting God on behalf of other people mm-hmm. and their needs.
1: And
0: the, the man never gave up because he said the boy had been like that all his life. Mm-hmm. That's great, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One commentator, I thought this was a good question. This is the question. I don't think. How often do needs around us go unmet? because we neglect radical trust in God especially on behalf of other Mm people radically trust God for other people any other Father, I thank you for your word. I just pray that you would help us to glean the things that you want us to know. This thought of, of continual dependence on you for everything in our life. And how you ask us to have a little faith and continue to trust, continue to exercise that faith so we get to this point that just believing in you for all the things in our life, the needs that are there. And not only are our needs, Lord, as we see in the story, the needs of other people of relatives, friends, of the people in our lives that we we need to trust you for. We bring, and we, so we can bring them up and believe that you can radically change and you can do great things. Lord, as we continue our church and we, and we move on and we try to draw people in and we think of that, that aspect, how each one of us can trust you in the lives of other people, in the lives of our own lives. And Lord, have the, having the humility as you showed to, to, to submit to forego our own our own uh, comfort and to just continually depend on you having that kind of humility I pray that you would teach us that and that uh, it will lead to just bigger things as, as better things happen Trusting instead of believing in our own power and our ability to reason and talk or operate, I just uh, pray you would teach us these things by your spirit in Jesus' name.